Finn, what is playing? Is are you playing the whole of my neighbor Totoro behind you? No, it's Kiki's uh, delivery it's, service. It's Kiki's delivery service. Yeah, just from the beginning. I realized last night while I was on a Zoom call that I could just have a movie playing behind me. There seems and... it's just going to be very distracting for me because do you want is... to uh, change to Ip Man Four? Are those the two options? Those are two options. To hear it, okay, that is a real dilemma because obviously I know Kiki very well. Mm. I have strong opinions, uh, subs versus dubs. I think it's a dub does not count. But the real key thing is that even though I know it like all Ghibli films, it will still enchant me (laughs) if I have to look past you. Oh, look at that beautiful cityscape, that night that night cityscape with the trees that just occurred behind you. Oh, no. Yeah. And whereas I, I'm not deep in Ip Man lore, but I easily, you know, like they're both, they're both temptations in different ways. If they were mm. a musical act, I'd call them uh, LMFAO, two so very you, tempting propositions. Do you know who plays the bad guy in the fourth Ip Man? Um, is it Scott Adkins? Yeah, Scott Adkins. Yeah. I, I surprisingly did know that. <laughs> well, man. Future breakout star of John Wick 4. I, I hope he's not. He's definitely going to be terrible, though, like in real life. It's, no, it's not true. He seems so nice. Yeah, but there's what you always <laughs> think, and you being everyone. Uh, hey, Finn. How you going? I'm doing, considering the two movies I just watched, I'm doing okay. Yeah, we're still locked. We're still down. We have gone down a level now. Yeah, we're in, we're in level three, which is level four with takeaways. And some nice diamond takeaways. Mm. There's special fried rice. The thing that's special is cashew nuts. Oh. And they're pretty damn special to me, yeah. Oh, you don't want to share what your first level three was? Okay, sweet. Oh, I haven't, haven't had any. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. You, you live in Ponsonby. Do you want to hear a tweet? I'm currently drafting in my head, inspired sure. by dropping off the new cable that also did not work to fix yeah. your audio. But it, I just want to let you know that if, if you read me a draft tweet, I'll have to read you a draft tweet. Okay, but this is this is inspired by going to Ponsonby. Uh, afterwards, I, I drafted the tweet. Why do I like driving through Ponsonby? Well, I can only get off if. Tiny white women in expensive cars honk their horns at me for no reason. Because you got a real plague of that going around your yeah, d- 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 didn't, didn't that happen uh, just as you were pulling out of my driveway? Yeah, I didn't do yeah. And I didn't do any. She just, she just yeah. decided to do it. She was just no, like, no. you know what? I want to exercise my, my hooting hand. Uh, welcome to Shite and Sound. My name is Ether Shite. And I'm Finn Sound Nicholas. Uh, right now, in my uh, virtual background of Kiki's delivery service, it's a bit where it's like near the end of the credits and she's flying through the air. She's just met that other witch for the first time. Um, uh, no, so, uh, she, uh, from my perspective, she has just met you. You seem to be getting on. You have a nice little black hat. Me and Kiki, we're, we're, we're going to be good friends. I don't know. It does like. I I would I would just say with all the love in the world, looking as you do as a twenty four year old, you got to be really oh, careful of the optics of hanging around with a I believe fourteen year old Japanese witch. 
Um, Here is my draft tweet. Uh, this one's going to stay in the drafts, I think, because uh, it's about a person who I don't want to name. So you, you're going to have to bleep this name. This is a tweet I wrote uh, in response to uh, a specific bit of New Zealand comedy uh, 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 Facebook drama. Which has five children. Calling him an incel is stolen valor. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 this, this is a guy who's like, every comedian on TV, they're all a bunch of sellout hacks. But every single one of his jokes is about like uh, smoking weed and jerking off and not yeah. even in a, a fun or creative way. <laughs> like me today watching Possession. No, there was absolutely no masturbation. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot stress that. Jesus Christ, what a hor- like. What is a darker color than red for that flag? You know, if you met someone and you're like, okay, so standard meeting procedure. It's nice to meet you. What is, you know, what, what is the cream that floats to the top of your crank bank? And if they're like, well, have you heard of this 1981 <laughs> Ajani Neil joint <laughs> possession? You're like, oh no, um, I have to contact Tinder about you. <laughs> Uh, that's why I got kicked off Hinge. <laughs> there is a draft tweet that I came up with about eight hours too late, so now I have to wait uh, like another 51 weeks to post it. Oh which is uh, every year the Met Gala has two themes the public theme, which poor people get to know about, and the secret theme, which only the attendees know. The secret theme is always just dress like absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> the dark secret the heart of the meat gala okay this is this is a podcast where we watch a film from the BFI's top 100 list this week we watched Carl Theodore Dreyer's 1964 Gertrude his final film oh I mean uh, I don't I don't think we can be thrown around the word film. Don't worry, this is not... Um, just anyway. <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk... It's... First thing everyone at home should know, you're listening to Shine and Sound After Dark. It's 9.46pm. Um, uh, we, are, we are in a penumbral world, an outer limit, a twilight zone, a harsh realm looking through the X-Files at the fringe of the Black you're doing so well just ending Chris Carter shows for a while and then <laughs> went off the rails. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, it was a real millennium bug, the lone gunman. Uh, that, that's no. it, right? I, I don't know. I'm not, not super familiar with his oeuvre. I mean, it's Maybe. mainly... It's just a lot of shit that the Wachowskis made cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and slightly less racist. I mean, but you can kind of say that about everything. But like, 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 like that, that's true of like uh, French philosophy. Uh, it's, uh, uh, that, that's true of bondage. Uh, it's true of uh, guns. It's that, true of computers. True, that's true of cakes that make you come. <laughs> yeah. 
just watch Three Loaded and you forget how lovingly rendered the underwear on that woman are. Yeah, no, they they, they go go all the way up there in their shots. So, like, like, that's exact, like, Tenant, like, Tenant crashing the plane. Like, The Matrix 2, the only morally way to make The Matrix 2 for $250 million is to be like, you know, all the cool shots of the world looking in code, we're now going to have one of those. (laughs) While a comically Frenchman. I don't think you understand how French this man is going to be. His first name is Lambert. (laughs) (laughs) And so he, who is a Frenchman putting on a French accent, describes how he coded a cake to give a woman an orgasm <laughs> as the film this 250 million dollar film the follow up to a film so big it launched DVD one of the most anticipated films of all time it's like oh what a, oh, what a fucking film Jesus <laughs> like oh, anyway um, so yeah Shine Sound After Dark. Normally I do a bit where I pretend we're a different kind of podcast <laughs> and then eventually, coincidentally, the kind of podcast we're doing has to watch the two films and, and we cover them. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah, you certainly do usually do about this. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, it's an it's a open form structure that introduces mm. ideas so it's less of a distraction than the previous ones I used to do. Yeah. So, um, I'm at the scene in Kiki's Slippery Service where she, where she meets Griffin Newman for the first time. There's, there's not even the biggest Griffin he looks like. That is McElroy or I die. Yeah, no, he's, all, yeah, he's, he's pretty they great do, McElroy as well. Like, um, the, the, the second and third best McElroys, which are, of course, um, Griffin and Rachel. The third is Charlie, Justin's daughter. Hmm. And the fourth is. Castro lover Sydney McElroy. Uh, what a community. Um, what a, I'm, I'm, I'm only just like Griffin. Cuba, that is. You haven't, why haven't you? There's so much that you would love in the podcast that Rachel and Griffin started where they review every episode of The Bachelor. Like, yeah. It's not so much down your street as it is a direct neighbor to you. Yeah, did, did, didn't we have to stop doing that one? Yeah, because it got horrifically racist. Yeah, yeah. The 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 bachelor. Good, good show. Not not the no, no, the podcast. <laughs> they did that, that, That's what that series Z video is about. No, that series Z video. <laughs> the fucking look on you for face when I mentioned the series Z McElroy drama video it just dropped. <laughs> and the series Z is someone whose work I really like. Like, there's a lot of really interesting con- content in there. And she made a 90-minute-long video that can be summed up in the statement, the McElroy brothers are two men who are incredibly good at making podcasts, and Travis McElroy, who thinks he is. <laughs> and when you first start listening, you're like, oh, this is so... Man, Griffin is so fun. Just yeah. just how to land a joke. He's a great point-of-view character. And I hope Travis gets good at this. And, uh, you know, Ron Howard narrator, mm-hmm. he did not get good at this. And everyone <laughs> was like, I'll just get rid of him. And uh, then familiarity bred contempt. 
Yeah. See, that is, like, that's the whole, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the fans turned on them because they were the kind of fans who always will, you know? Yeah. Um, because but, any piece of art which is about uh, being nice as its, like, main theme uh, will always turn its fans into uh, horrifying psychopaths. Uh, except for Paddington, uh, and that is because Paddington has um, one of the best pieces of narrative invention ever, which is his good hard stares. <laughs> good hard stares show that within the universe of Paddington, Paddington is an optimist, but he is not naive. Hmm. He knows there are people with dark hearts or who look to do the wrong thing. And he knows that the solution to that is to make sure they know you know, that you give them a good hard stare. And that shows that that's not like that his optimism is earned as opposed to um, like religious style, everyone is forgiven, you know? Yeah. You'd, and, you'd and never and imagine Paddington on a crucifix. <laughs> and tonight we watched two movies that are essentially uh, each a long hard stare. <laughs> yeah, I you like I know you won't believe me because we are about to hit eighteen and a half minutes of <laughs> yeah. recording, almost all of which I think is in the show. <laughs> I don't know, I'm having a good time. Okay, I want to establish like the one two punch of these films. Like I as I said, I normally do a joke where I pretend we're in another reality and we end up in this podcast. Yeah. I want to tell you why I'm not doing it. Because we're about to wade through so many levels of shit, we need to start on strong footing, and we need to establish some laws, some things that are taken as read through the rest of our conversation, (laughs) so we can actually start describing these things rather than explaining the following, I believe, genuinely irrefutable points. Uh, Gertrude is one of the top 50 films ever made. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's not quite that high for me, but like. No, but I, it is. It is like all time great. It's, yeah, no, like it's, it's very good, but like, of the drives that I've seen, I think my, my personal favorite so far is, is The Passion of Joan of Arc. But yeah, but, G- G- Gertrude's fantastic. Yeah, but like, like four and a half, five, hmm. it, it, it's fucking exquisite. Um, and Possession. Is like a top five ever made film, right? Like, yeah, this is like this is like fucking Citizen Kane, <laughs> like Tuki Buki, Yee Yee Possession, like Lord of the Rings or fucking Terminator. You know, like we are at that. We're at the incredible high water mark. Of yeah, no, it, it's 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 one of those films which like I'm kind of sad you didn't get to watch this in a theater for the first time, like 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 uh, like I did when I got to see it. But I like, was intoxicating, wearing headphones in a dark room, and yeah. it was like I was looking through a window. <laughs> like I like you, you are right, but I'm not. I was not that yeah. far off. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the, like the, the, the headphones, this... what was a mistake. It's a regret of my life oh. to have watched the first time. Oh, yeah, the, the sounds of possession are some of the most upsetting <laughs> sounds you'll ever hear in a movie. Uh, another law, yeah, no, the juxtaposition I want to make is that I think these are both excellent, excellent films. Mm. I think Gertrude is a flawed one, and, like, possession to me is uh, the, the thing, 
it, it makes me think about Razorhead, and it makes me think about The Shining, in that both of those are films that may not be your favorite, but mm. you couldn't change them. Yeah, like, you couldn't like it as they they are they are kind of airless and perfect. And while uh, and like I don't think we can deny. I don't think anyone who did any part of possession could have done a better job. Uh, yeah. Isn't that, and, and like uh, Neil and Ajani, uh, this is another one of those giving two of the best performances of all time, definitely the best performances in all of film <laughs> uh, uh, in, 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 of their careers. Like, no, like mm. genuinely. Yeah, no, and, no, I feel the exact same way about like, I, I love Sam Neill in this, but like Isabel Ajani, like, I think this. And Cheryl Lee and Twin Peaks Fly Walk Me are like my two favorite performances ever. And, and they are both doing like, I think, very similar sorts of things in, in just these like incredibly expressionistic, like two hours of screaming so hard, but you'll melt your own face off. It's so confronting. And I think <laughs> um, I, I, I agree that a journey turns out the best performance, but what Sam Neill has going for him in this film. This is another one of just the groundwork things we've got to put in there. The Sam Neill in this film is the most attractive man who's ever appeared on film. <laughs> like, there are just so many incredible mid-shots of him. And I spent half the film dreaming of, like, the parallel universe where Sean Connery is but a footnote at the beginning of Sam Neill's 40-year reign as a gracefully aging James Bond. Yeah, that I no, thought that yeah. while watching Possession, a film that is about both uh, divorce and the mysteries of the sea and <laughs> sp- international spycraft, yep. uh, is a compliment to Possession, mm. which I can't, and yeah, no, I just, I mean everything I have just said a hundred percent sincerely, that's why I cannot risk bringing fiction into into this my intro as I normally would. Holy <laughs> and, and the key thing is that these are both films in the way that Playtime is a film and that I could entirely understand that they're they're probably legally not like uh, the performances in Gertrude are like uh aliens <laughs> Sitting in there, uh, who, who, it's insane, and the performances in position and the camera work in position is uh, an incredible, like, what I compare it to is like performance art about people going insane. Like, yeah, it makes yes. I think a lot about the fuck boys who are two <laughs> New Zealand comedians who yeah. do the, the end shows often by just having one of them. Wearing nothing but his underwear drenched in sweat, bellowing an inch from your face for you to leave. Like that, this is, it is, he is this bellowing Tasmanian devil cartoon <laughs> that, that is all sinews and explosion. And so is possession. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, we cannot, like, yeah, and that's the intro. General <laughs> is about to give you a joke about the two films, but then we'll just sit here and blankly discuss how we lost our minds. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound.
the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 45 on the Sight and Sound list. <clears throat> on this episode, we watched number... On this episode, we watched number 45 on the Sight and Sound list. Carl Theodor Dreyer's final film, Gertrude, about a woman who leaves her husband for a more virile and sexually exciting man, and then leaves that man for another guy. Our second film this week is Andrzej Zulowski's Possession, a film about a woman who leaves her husband for a more virile and sexually exciting man, and then leaves that man for a tentacle monster. So... I think we formed an informal trilogy here because we've got Playtime, Gertrude, and uh, Possession, all of which are films from another dimension uh, where they do not make films the way we do in, in almost all ways but one. And I'm not even like, this is beyond, this is like some kind of tonal uncanny valley. <laughs> like, I don't know... <laughs> where in the universe they are, all in different ways. So we should start, like, Dreyer was never the most uh, formalist of directors. He wasn't one for following rules. But for this, his last film, he, he changed the game again. Like, this is, many of his films are, are quick and, and scrappy, whereas this is, is slow and long. Mm. Um, it, 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 like, you know more about Dreyer like, than I do, right? Yeah, maybe. I think I've seen all of his features except his first, uh, which is a silent film called Master of the House, and I haven't seen Audette yet because I'm I'm saving that for when we cover it on the podcast. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I've seen The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is uh, well, one of the great silent films ever made, and the lead performance of that film by an actress called Maria Falconetti is Isabella Gianni's Shirley kind of level portrait of suffering and despair and yeah. spiritual ecstasy. It's incredible. And then uh, this week I watched this film Vampire, which is not my favorite of the like early, uh, of, of the early vampire films. I think I still prefer Nosferatu, but there is like absolutely incredible use of shadow in his uh, vampire. Yeah. I mean, today yes, I rewatched There are a lot uh, of images from it are very iconic. Uh, like a very iconic if you yeah. saw them you'd recognize them yeah there is a scene where the main character is like walking through a house and he's crossing a threshold in, into the world of the supernatural for the first time and everyone else in the house you only see them by their shadows projected on the wall they are these like unseen ghosts who, who, who just yeah. who just exist as as like as like emptiness is Gertrude his first non-supernatural film in what? Uh, because it's certainly supernatural in tone, but it's not actually, you know, strictly. So I, I believe in, uh, I, I believe that, I believe in Audette, uh, there is like actual miracles that happen and a person yeah. comes back to life. But in, uh, in his 1943 film, Day of Wrath, uh, which is about uh, like, uh, uh, which is about uh, witch trials in the in the 1600s. You can make the argument about whether or not Dreyer thinks fit witches are actually real in that movie. But, yeah. but there is nothing that is explicitly supernatural in it. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is not his, his, his sole 
plot-wise realist film, even though it is absolutely not a naturalist film at all. No. How would you describe the performance style of this film? It's really hard to to do that. It's hard to describe what the performances are like without just saying, oh, it's like this movie. And it's not like any of those movies. Hmm. You could like make an argument that it's kind of like Yorgos Lanthimos because of how silted and like strange everyone is. Like, they're, 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 like, they're like yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, it's in a different direction. I think my first read was that it was like a play. Mm. They are, a key thing is no one is ever looking at anywhere but the middle distance. Yeah. Everyone is arranged throughout the film in kind of tableaus, almost like they're in a painting, generally looking out, but talking as if they're making eye contact, spilling their hearts out, but posing. Yeah. And it does <laughs> feel a bit like when you see a close-up on someone doing something on stage that you're supposed to be reading in the wide. You know? Right, yeah. Yeah, there was uh, one scene kind of near the end of Gertrude where the title character is sitting on a like couch looking pretty much directly at the camera and then she, she's having a conversation with a man who is sitting on the arm of the couch facing like way to her left. And yeah, they're just having this conversation like they are talking to each other. But it, it, it is arranged where she is always straight on, he is always in profile, and it just holds on this single shot of, 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 those, of those two talking for yeah, the first probably two or three the, minutes. The first scene, which is her coming, her husband coming home, her husband is a lawyer, and, and she's like, um, basically, you've been emotionally absent for decades. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about our past for 10 minutes and one unbroken take and then I'm going to leave you and that which is the opening to the film yeah and, and they are having they're hitting these real high emotion points they are really looking at each other and not and it looks incredible and they're doing such great job but you are so aware that they are performing for you yeah you know um, and it goes beyond like a meta breaking the fourth wall thing, like the instinctual thing. Mm. And it it feels so weird. Yeah. So I watched Gertrude today, back to back with Day of Wrath. And that film, like a lot of films from, from the 40s, it feels kind of stagey and people feel like they're kind of acting rather yeah. than being naturalistic. But it was like such a sharp shift from from that movie, which feels like, normal movie stagey and non-naturalistic to Gertrude, which is so pointedly not doing what movies are supposed to do. Yeah, and yet it all works. Mm. It is genuinely, yeah, it is like when you hear music, you know, when people, because we're so used to like 4-4 and 8-4 and whatever musical Mm. structures, and then when you hear you know, oh, this is in 3-8. Well, I don't know. I'm not a music person. And you're like, oh, I know this, but I don't know this. Yeah. Or like, like there's something in the lizard brain that happens. <laughs> and, and using it to tell the story of, like, that ultimately about one woman having been forced, who's fa- who finds herself in the position uh, of 
it being impossible for her to be happy. Can't be happy with her husband, the guy she leaves him for, the young guy the first time around. Well, no, the first guy she goes to is young, and she falls in love with him, but he doesn't love her. No, he, he's he's a he's a like selfish young man who sort of yeah. is is uh, totally unable to make any sort of uh, meaningful commitment to her. And then the the like third man who uh, who who comes into her life, he is an old boyfriend of hers, the man that she used to date before before she was with her husband. Uh, he, he is now a, a famous poet who's been overseas for many years, but is now back in uh, but, but but is now back in Denmark for for, for the first time, and he, and he he has come back to see if he can win her over again. Um and. So yeah, she gets fit, like she she is stuck in a terrible routine. She finds some fun, but that cannot last. And see, so she returns to nostalgic things, and that doesn't last because even nostalgia can be poisoned. That guy is a dick as well. Yeah. Um. He, 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 emo. He he he's this poet who's who, whose entire. Uh, whose entire body of work is about love and pleasure and eroticism, he is still unable to... I mean, like, a, a, a big theme in, in this film is, like, men just being unable to divorce their self-worth from the work that they are told they have to do. Yeah. And, 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 like, and like, being unable to think about their partners as being people in a, in a partnership with them. It is like always like I, I I am a man I'm defined by my job and my 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 wife or my mistress or my girlfriend she 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 can never be as important as my job because my job is what defines me. Well, and if the film has absolutely agree, and I think if this film has an overriding thematic thesis, it it is pointing out and underlining how all are vectors for kind of success and connection, being happy with ourselves, have been reduced by factors outside of our control to the ones that benefit people more powerful than us. It's about yeah. how uh, uh, these are kind of the, the options she has is to make do in a bad place, do something unfulfilling, or go to a worse place that might seem warmer, which is the past, and they all start. And and while this is like such a deeply internal journey, Freya's ideas to make it feel off like a bad dream, like rancid food, um, makes it so dangerous. And like, I don't think I've I can think of a film that has greater emotional stakes than this where no one's life is in the balance. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't, I just don't know how, because, yeah, this film uh, f- works and is excellent, you know? The, no, the reason I wanted to establish these things is to go to, like, the interesting conversation to be had is like, yeah, obviously this film is brilliant. How could Dreyer know that? Like, listen, like the logline pitch, which is that people do kind of semi-hypnotized feeling 
distant, mist-paced, slow dialogue, while also kind of mugging for the camera, but not moving <laughs> at all. And it's telling a repetitive and ultimately unsatisfying story about with no redeeming characters in it. And you just sound there and go like, I don't care if, I don't, you know, Edward Yang, the best filmmaker who's ever lived, couldn't make that good. You know, it just sounds like, it sounds like a student video. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it sounds like the films that Mumblecore laughs at. Like, you know, when you go to that website, which sends you to a YouTube video that no one else has ever watched. <laughs> but instead, no, it just clearly does. But how, how did he know? How could he know? You know, like, it feels mm-hmm. like a miracle. I'm I'm gonna uh, see if there's like anything going on with if there's anything like weird going on on with the on on with the, the 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 production of it, or well, I was having a dryer at that time. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh no! It was possession that was written during a divorce. Uh, yes. Which, which you absolutely <laughs> like, you oh, yeah. like. You're like no. Oh really? Huh. You're telling me the person that wrote Possession had just come out of a damaging relationship. <laughs> I can't see it. People really lose themselves in their work. Yeah, so it, it, it looks like the, the, the like last half of, of Dreyer's career, he, he worked you know, incredibly slowly. His yeah. last three films were made between 1943 and 1964. He, he essentially made one film a decade for, for you know, for 20 years. And, a dream, right? And so it seems like by this point in his life, he wanted to do a film where he was, like, done with all the tricks. Starting with The Passion of Joan of Arc, as you mentioned earlier, he'd had this, like, fairly speedy rhythm to his films, especially the films in, like, 20s and 30s. They, they move a lot faster than most of those films yeah. do. Flashy camera moves, and it was fast-cutting, and... It seems like he wanted to make a film which stripped all that away and just wanted to tell the story, but it was like strange in its simplicity but in a like totally unembellished way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's, but it is um, like everything you have just said is true, but it's not unembellished. There's a lot of like, unnatural lighting in it there's a lot of people mm. getting caught in spotlights it's again a bit theatrical isn't but by f- it's ages away from being a bad thing mm. um but it is this yeah it feels like we are an audience it is being performed for us we are always asked to question the circumstances of these performances and that these are people pretending, which is also something that all the characters are doing as well. Um, but like, man, and with the way it's like, it's like Agira in that its plot is like, here is a, a fatal mistake or like, here is a decision that will end poorly. Hmm. And now it ends poorly for two enthralling hours. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, this is how bad I thought things would get. Which brings me to the final law we have to set down. Gertrude and Possession are the same film, right? Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the only difference is they are both films that tell essentially the same story in equally unnatural ways. But but one is unnatural in how much it emphasizes restraint and one is unnatural in how much it emphasizes uh, absolute raving fucking hysteria. Yeah. Uh, It's like, um, well, it's like, it's like two different Commedia dell'arte troops who doing their own takes on the stock characters and stock Mm. stories. Yeah. God, it's just... There's one comedian dell'arte troupe that's like kind of melancholy and yeah. they're, they're all going through some stuff. And then there's oh, another. And, and they've all been doing it for like 40 years. Yeah. So they're and... all slick pros who know the perfect pose to hit, to hit the dramatic beat, how to play it. Like Dreyer said in some interview that his goal with this was to make a film that it was more important to hear than to see. Right. Which I think translated into this film's focus on dialogue it is a story mm. that is told yeah um and and then and then the second comedian delight a troop uh mm. uh, uh okay so they're uh, uh also starring in a crank to high voltage yeah or uh, they're it, what like punk improv <laughs> or like if the six pistols had gotten a couple of ki- copy of keith johnstone rather than malcolm mclaren you know mm. Um, or Del Close. It is like I I thought I never thought so much about how we are apes than I have while watching but possession which is about two starts as two, it grows to about four people who are fearless apes. Just Billowing and screaming, just, like just, the power just of the human voice and body, yeah. like blubbering and throwing themselves around, see, seeing if, seeing if, like you know, seeing, seeing if, like feeling pain will make them human again, <laughs> and like that's a good entree, I think, to to get into possession. Because there is not like Gertrude. I think the thing that 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 sets Gertrude apart from um, the the trilogy of films from another dimension, Gertrude Playtime and Possession, mm-hmm. uh, is that Possession and Playtime, the story is not the track. And I just think that it is a disservice to Gertrude. Can't like you have to kind of be like. It, there's this. It, treat it like it is a weird pirate TV channel that only comes on, and it actually, you know, we're in the blue fringe universe. They're the red fringe universe. They make films differently there. Yeah, it's, it's and, called video drama. And not knowing any more than that, I, uh, I mean, I'll make this argument again for position. What I'm, what I'm trying to get to is so thin. Yeah. Like shy or sound on Gertrude. Uh, it's a uh, real sound. It's it's as, as I said, yeah. Six, yeah. It, it's not it's not my favorite dryer, but it's it's no. super good, and it's like it, it's one of those films you have you have to see. And, uh, yeah, because we, I think we have done actually a really good job of describing it, of what it is like to watch it. 
uh, you are just not ready. Like, yeah, when I saw you in person, the thing I said was like, so much of watching Gertrude, my brain was like, Uther, this is what acting has always been like, and you've only just noticed. It's always this false. And so by heightening it, it is, it is what Brecht calls the Vifrem Dunst effect. Yeah. By, by removing your need to believe, you become more invested. Like it was light looking through a window and it looked so beautiful. Yes. Um, it is exquisite black and white, which was like a choice. Dryer made some color films, right? Uh, no, no. I thought I, in the I, 50s he did. Anyway. No, uh, he, 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 he might have experimented with color in some of the short films he made, uh, but I, he did like a few short documentaries, maybe one of those in color, but I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that he, he never made the, his last three films were, were De- 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 Day of Wrath 43 or Debt 55, Gertrude 64, and all, all three of those are black and white. Oh yeah, it it is it, and the the crux of my point being the 1964 black and white was a choice. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and, and he, this, he 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 is someone who like right who, who like came, who like came out of silent film and never stopped understanding how important lighting and camera movement is to like actually creating a film. Now we both agree that Gertrude by Dreyer. Is, is a singular, unique, and incredible film. Uh, yeah. Uh, worthy of love. Massive shout-out to Nina Pensrod and Ben Roth, who are the two leads, uh, who are the, the Gertrude and the lawyer, because um, the men kind of, uh, uh, who are Ebrod, Bard O, and Axel Strobai, um, uh, kind of come in, you know, they drift in and out. They're, they're bit players. Yeah. Um, but they're all, oh, they're so great. And we all agree, so nice at a time of division. Just uh, looking at its letterboxed page here, nothing but five-star reviews. Oh, what happens if I click on this fin? Yeah? Fin. No, did, did, did you do it again? Did, did, you click, did you click sort by lowest first? Did you, okay, you know, you you follow quite a few people on social media platform, platform letterbox.com, yeah? Yeah, I know you, 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 you've created quite strong parasocial bonds with quite a few of them. Are you going to tell me that uh, Demir Dijuibe uh, hates this movie? No, the, the one person you love more than Demir Dijuibe Oh, no, not Branson Reese. <laughs> no, the person Branson Reese is dead. It's Momster, your oh, favorite. Oh, how how could I forget? Uh, they watched the uh, they watched Gertrude, um, and they definitely saw the same film as us. Like the best negative reviews. You're about to hear a pretty good description of this film, except they just think it's bad. So, Monster saw it on the 15th of November 2017 and felt moved to award it half a star. The one thing this movie values more than seeing how far up its own ass it can get is being, caps, 
space between each letter. Endless. <laughs> if you want to do a play, do the play and do it well. If you want to make a movie, make the movie, make it well. This contrary piece of cinematic tranquilizer instead went, I'll make a movie play and make it shitty. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, the problem is, is you're wrong and it's actually good though. <laughs> And it's interesting because Monster has a very, I shouldn't mom-splain to you, <laughs> yeah, you you know, you know this Swedish um, uh, 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 letterboxed influencer better yeah. than the the back of your own hand, and so just off the top of your head, I'm sure you could tell me their top four films on here. Oh, you know, it's uh, Battleship Potemkin. No, one is about the title does describe a large weapon though. A uh, krull. <laughs> like kind like yeah, the title is also the lead character who is a weapon, or at one point very dramatically says that they oh, are the 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 Iron Giant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Next one. one of the, one of the uh, great scenes in all cinema when he says he's not a gun. No. Makes him cry and cry and cry. I much preferred when he showed up in Ready Player <laughs> One. Player one. <laughs> shooting people. Uh, one of these is a Netflix miniseries, a recent high-profile one. Uh, uh, is, is, it a, uh, is, is it a documentary or fiction? Uh, it's a docodrama. Uh, is it uh, The Tiger King? No, 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 no. That has no drama in it. This contains recreation. Um, it's from about five years ago. It's directed by a, like a feature, a, a fiction feature oh, director. Uh, is uh, is this the Ava DuVernay one? Yeah, the thirteenth. That's it. yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one is strictly a film, yes, but is also the beginning of a mini series. Um, uh. We, uh, it's probably of all the films, Working as Creatives in New Zealand has had the biggest impact on our work uh, out of most films ever made. I mean, in a practical sense. It's a Peter Jackson film? Is it uh, a good one or a bad one? A good one. It's a good, it's a Fellowship of a Ring? Dang. Yeah. Next one, and uh, the last one. Is also part of a series. Uh, it's a movie spin-off of a TV series. How recent is it? Uh, 2018. Uh, 2018. I have not seen it. I'm sure that you know films like this exist. Um, it, it's, it's a TV series that's very popular with people of our age because it was shown a lot on TV in their youth. It's animated. And from um. Japan. Okay, um, is, is, is this like a Dragon Ball Z movie or something? Yes, it is. It is Dragon Ball Super, colon, Broly, right, the adventure yeah. to become the strongest begins. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it advertised at, at, at Academy Cinemas for several months and I uh, never went to see it. I, yeah, I would just love to just give a real quick shout out to Momster because I absolutely understand if you were having a bad day or a good day or just the wrong kind of day and saw Gertrude you would 
it would make me like it would destroy uh, you. violently earlier. Yeah, you would possession. You would possession, which is to say, holy, I just fent. Yes. Uh, when I dropped off the cable, uh, you said the th- about possession. You got to be careful oh, with this one. Uh, yes. There's some real heavy shit. And like, as you knew I would, my thought then, and the guy was like, I mean, really, come on, you know? But mate, holy, like, there is a perpetual sense throughout possession that something is going wrong. Yeah. Because you start in this almost noirish, absurdly tightly wound, hinter-psychological thriller of this devolving marriage between Sam Neill, who's a spy, and Elizabeth Ajani, who is his wife. Isabella Ajani. Isabella Ajani, my my apologies to all Ajani's. And she, her job is, uh, I don't know, like... uh, I think she's uh, she's, she's a former ballet teacher. Oh, yes, that's right. But, like, (laughs) mainly thrashing corp limb beast. Yeah, yeah, that, like, that's pretty accurate. And so within 20 minutes, every line of dialogue, like every line, mm. is being bellowed <laughs> at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Many scenes have very disquieting, like, um, uh, uh, low spectrum noises to make you feel uneasy. They'll, they'll have these massive shouting arguments while she's like using a sausage maker and you're like, I know she's going to mash her fucking hand. I fucking know how this is going. I know you're fucking and they're bellowing and you see the spit coming out of their mouth and they're so in it and it's so real and you're like, but I just know, and at the same time, the soundtrack is going like, <laughs> and you're like, I actually, it is, it feels like torture. It feels like there should be international standards of what you can put in a film. Like how um, in Irreversible, through something like the first half of Irreversible, in their LFE, in, in their, on their subwoofer track, they play a noise that is often just beneath human hearing that we associate with earthquakes <laughs> just to upset you. And in some countries that had to be filtered because it's illegal. Because it's a play. crime, yeah. yeah. Because it is a crime. And there are, <laughs> as much as to be clear, like this is an all-time great film, there are things in it that I believe would be termed enhanced interrogation by the CIA. Yeah. Like, what like, it does to your nerves. Well, and, and, like, what, what it did to the performance. Like, the, the, yeah, this... you tell me. I don't really know anything about this. Tell me. Yeah, so this film, the idea of it was birthed out of the divorce that, that the writer and director Andrzej Zhulowski uh, went through. I think in 1976, he was married uh, to an actress called Melgozata uh, Brownick. Uh, yeah. I uh, am uh, bad at pronouncing uh, Polish names. I'm going to fuck up a lot of names in this section. Um, 
So yeah, he, he was married to her. She uh, uh, co-starred in his first two films, The Third Part of the Night and uh, The Devil, uh, both of which are uh, not as good as Possession, but are like fantastic films and have have a lot of uh, real similarities to this and that they are. So the, the, the like, whole approach that... So the, are you telling yeah. me that not all of his films are technically malware attacks on the software <laughs> of the human brain. Yeah, so if I had to, if I like had to come up with a, a phrase to describe his movies, uh, as as like as like it would be a, a cinema of hysteria. That that, that, yeah. that is that is his thing. Yeah. It, it is all his movies are about paranoia and mental breakdowns and horrific and unexpected violence and. Of, of all the movies that I've seen, uh, this is his most restrained. He toned it down yeah, and went kind of mainstream for this one. Just like you telling me when, 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 when I dropped off the cable to, to be careful with this film, my immediate response is like, nah, they, this can't be the normal. There is no, the idea, the very notion that after, because if you have like, you know when you're, when you peek on a microphone and it go, goes red, yeah. like the hysteria peaking on this film, the light bulb would be red throughout <laughs> and eventually explode. Like, I just uh, yes. genuinely don't know what new levels of hysteria they are after this scene, this immaculately shot scene of, like, clean-cut, cool, hot bloke Sam Neill walking like a reaper through his house with all this fog and these noises going like (laughs) and then he walks into a room and i'm just gonna read uh i I, this is another thing i want to do i think this pretty well expresses what the film is like this is something i read 10 minutes into the film and even 10 minutes into the film like you saying there's more hysteria than this or that I should look after myself. I did not believe the contents of this list when I had, uh, what is it, 101, uh, an hour and 50 minutes left in the film, but they all came true. That's how much this film escalates. Parents' guide. <clears throat> so, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go straight to the best one, which is frightening and intense scenes, <laughs> of which there are seven. <clears throat> uh, and so this this list of seven items is the plot of Possession. Rated R for strong, disturbing, bloody, violent content, disturbing behavior, some sexual content, and nudity. Possession is a very disturbing and obsessive movie. It starts like a drama and ends like a bloody nightmare. The scariest thing isn't the violence, but the frightening atmosphere. There's an intensely disturbing miscarriage scene. Anna kills two investigators in a graphic fashion, one with a broken wine bottle to the neck, and the other being brutally beaten over the head with a blunt object before being shot three times. Both both these scenes are very disturbing and bloody. Each scene with the tentacled creature, that's right, there's a fucking tentacled creature 
is eerie and unsettling, which... <laughs> I'm kind of understating it. Yeah, no, it is like... I have never... It is, it is like the, the only comparison I can think of, of of a clearly fictional being that has and who horrifically like co-opt, I cannot think of a word for it in English, co-op a piece of Tadeo, or like the mana hmm. that this monster has, this presence beyond the real, um, is the, the baby in a razor head. Right, yeah. It is these two things where I'm like, I absolutely understand that these are um like dead bits of dead animals or like polystyrene rearranged. I'm not pretending it's real, but it is like like on the snake god Alan Moore prays to, in that you don't have to know that it's real for it to affect your life. Mm. Like like um like the sex scene in border this is uh, or or the theory of Roko's basilisk. This squid is now, or or how the the image of a weeping angel becomes a weeping angel. So no matter what, the weeping angels are real. Like this, um, <clears throat> eerie and unsettling tentacled creature is now a factor in my real life <laughs> for the rest as I exist. Anyway, to complete the parents' guide yeah. entry. Each scene with the tentacled creature is eerie and unsettling, with the movements, vivid sound effects, and sound of heavy breathing casting a very disturbing atmosphere any times it's on screen and off screen. Like, it is... Yeah, holy shit. Yeah. <clears throat> the scene showing Anna when she, has a dan- when she was a dance instructor is extremely uncomfortable. Yes. Like it's more yeah, she, uncomfortable she, she torches a child. It's great. It's it's worse than anything that who's the fucking kids guy, kids and bully. Oh, uh, uh, Larry Clark or something. Yeah, Larry Clark's career has been a long journey to attempt to make a scene about the cruelty that children are put through by themselves <laughs> and each other. That is as effective as that scene, and he has failed. <laughs> and then the final entry. There is also a weird octopus that has sex with the main female character. <laughs> and and the, that is what Sam Neill creeps through this house <gasps> and then just walks in on his wife in this bed that's now a ditch with this shapeless Varga plant monster. And it is just, just like, in, in, just f- fully encircling her and like thrusting on top of her. And like I, I have one of my the best things I've ever written is a sincere speech about talking about sex with your parents that uses having sex with a squid as a metaphor, except as presented literally because I'm a clever dick because I don't have actual things in in the world to write about. And so I have I as I've really considered cephalopodian uh, human mating. Uh, and so this should be more like a profit. You know when like chefs watch Ratatouille and are like, ah, they've gotten it right. <laughs> yeah. I watch this and I'm like, there's so much I do not know. <laughs> there is so much. There's so much more darkness in even this dark thing, and it is like 
and because it has the same Vifrim Dunst air, these performances that are so big, but never, like, it is two people losing their minds, and it is clearly two people going huge. But they're also, so you know it's fake. But also, like, the trick it has over Gertrude, and this is the thing I think that makes it top five rather than top 50 as a rough yeah. shorthand. Um, is that they is that Ajani and Neil, especially, have always worked very hard to do like deep character work to justify why their characters are always yelling. Yeah. So it feels like there is this element of Kafka to it, which is that it is insane, but it is the only natural reaction to their circumstances. Mm. They're screaming mm. and flipping out and freaking out because that is exactly so. It is so unreal. And it is so real. And that is why this film is like a meme, like a dangerous self-replicating movie virus. Yeah. So, um, just holy shit is, sorry. Anyway, you were saying. So, yeah. So, uh, I just, I can't, I don't, will it offend my question for you? Again, we are now on, we're still only like an hour and a half since the credits rolled for me. (laughs) Will this film ever leave my brain? Like, will I ever know peace after this point? Uh, I, 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 I think it's uh, certainly possible. That's not the answer I wanted, Ben. But uh, so, as I was saying uh, twenty minutes ago, so this film uh, it comes out of Julowski's divorce from his first wife, Malcolm Arthur Brownick. Who, yeah, who's the actress in, in, in the first few of his movies, and apparently, like, it was a, a difficult divorce. Apparently, he he was uh, yes. he he was a frequently suicidal. After this happened, he could not find a way to process his emotions. So he threw himself fully into filmmaking again, and he started work on a movie called On the Silver Globe, which is a film that he never got to finish because uh, in the late seventies. The communist government of Poland uh, decided that this uh, that this uh, uncompleted film uh, was a danger to to the regime. Essentially, it, it, it was it, it was anti communist. It was you know it, it was a like uh, bad work of art that should not be allowed to exist. And so they shut down the production, and and uh, and it, it, it remains to this day uh, and like and 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 unfinished film. But so he he was at a loss after that. He he was again suicidal. Working on a film was for one thing, which sort of was sort of gave him any sort of reprieve. And uh, so he 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 started working on 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 this film. He he came with an initial short treatment for a very allegorical film about a divorce, and uh, uh, it, it was inspired specifically by by one moment, which comes up in the film, where he came home one night and he saw that his five year old son. Uh, was like sitting in a corner with an empty jam jar, just smeared like just smeared with jam because his his uh, uh, his his wife had just like left the child alone and 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 gone out and just given him a jar of jam to to like tie himself over. And so that idea grew eventually into possession. And uh, so he, he he was he was essentially banned from making films in Poland now, and uh, so he he, uh, he he moved to France. And... I mean, I can kind of, I like as genius as this film is. I hmm. also understand why you would have to ban it. 
Their child's broken yeah. now. You just got to put their child yeah. in the bed. It's spoiled. Like his, his, his first two films are like movies about how Poland is terrible, basically. Like the uh, the 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 third part of the night is, is set during the Nazi occupation of Poland, and it paints an incredibly unflattering portrait of every single person in the country. Uh, and then his second film, The Devil, it takes place in the 1800s during the Prussian invasion of Poland. And like again, that that, that movie is about how everyone from like from aristocrats to revolutionaries is like is is like a base craven scum. In the films that Zulowski makes, everyone is a monster. And, and like, he's not wrong. Hmm. And, and, and so, I mean, I'm talking about real life. Yeah. You know? And so for this film, he moved to France and he started working on it. His only person that he wanted to star in it was Isabella Jolly. Oh, it's who, a bit of bait. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Had starred in the, in the Truffaut film, The Story of Adele H, uh, in 1975. Yeah. And I, I've not seen that film, but like, that's supposed to be another performance like this, where she's just like fully throwing herself as yeah. hard as an actor was ever throwing themselves into a, into a role. And, 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 she, 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 and, and that yeah. apart, she is, is like Anna Karina that we talked about last week, mm. like Jean Pierre Lourdes. It was it was a face of yeah. of of the new wave and the new wave adjacent films beyond being mm-hmm. in that Truffaut film. Like yeah. she is her, um, she she is she's like a marble statue. Mm. Neither yeah, of and- them in this film are real. They're like they're what Zack Snyder sees the Justice League as. They are like glowing icons. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and the, the like thing about Isabella Johnny is like, yeah, she, she 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 is an iconic figure. She is one of the all-time great actresses, and she is also just like one of the most beautiful people who's ever been captured by celluloid. Yeah, in a, in and, a way that doesn't seem neither like the reason I stressed Sam Neill's attractiveness, mm-hmm. apart from national pride, <laughs> um, is is the fact that they both like this fit like Gertrude looks like an incredible period film mm. position looks like a clarified captured in amber perfect work of art it, it is like the way it looks and moves and that comes down to like these are the two best looking people ever just wriggling and sweating and going pink and so much of this is like them yelling so loud you see the sweat coming out of them the the spit coming out of their mouths and the sweat coming out of their pores and then they'll have to stop and take your breath and none of that lands as hard it does if it's not elizabeth uh, sorry isabella johnny yeah the the ur example of beauty on film in a way beyond even like you know grace carey Kelly, lauren bacall mm. and like this uh, ideal like the the platonic ideal that that brad pitt and you know humphrey bogart and and rock hudson are but in in james dean that the one who died young the good james dean um are but shades of you know like it it seems it's like primal their beauty. Yeah. And like and and so it turning to fury is 
it it it, it is it feel that like that feels monumental and that monument like breaches the screen and is like happening to you and that and like with you telling me all of this about the background to it it's like it feels like his divorce is coming out of the film yeah you know, like, like, the, the, he is the, expressing the, 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 it so hard it's manifesting yeah, yeah it, 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 it's a film that's like that like literalizes like if every man's like worst fears about about like what his wife is up to when he's not there well, you know, and, 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 and his and, worst and, fears of how he will react to yeah, it yeah um because like to me the most terrifying and most upsetting bits of this film are like seeing the innate violence that masculine masculinity is always threatening mm. like just like the the hot like that this film expresses through Sam Neill to me. I'm not about to say I've discovered something. I'm saying I'm ex- something I knew existed. I experienced for the first time, which is that obviously, like a key part of, uh, uh, of being a cis man and having to realize how different it is for women, is that we have not been socialized to default fear the violence of men. And in this, I was like, oh no, I understand that feeling now yeah like i can understand like and i like, can understand yeah. not being able to not being able to help but be afraid of what a man can do and like that idea of like masculine violence is always on the fringes of of, of, of like gertrude it's sort of hinted at it's like yeah it, 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 it's it, a ghost yeah but this because it is about hysteria rather than restraint is it's like fully unleashes that violence yeah. at several points and it's yeah, just incredibly disturbing. But so, um, after the cast, Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill, who it was his international breakout around that time because he, he had just done my brilliant career. And we're, we're, I think he had filmed the Omen film, but it hadn't come out. Right. Okay. Because they came, the, this and it's Omen 3 or Omen 4. It's, it's Omen 3. Omen 3 come out the same year, okay. 81. And so they all go to Berlin. They shoot this film over a 12-week shoot, all shot in parts of West Berlin, which were as close to a wall as possible. The most like prominent example in the entire world of separation enforced by violence. And 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 and, uh, and, and, and this film is the DMZ, but I but mm, I absolutely get your point. Yeah, every exterior shot of this film is like in the shadow of, of that wall and that separation. Yeah. And uh so ma- making this movie was uh, very, very difficult for Ajani and for Sam Deal. Yeah, like, like you can, t- like, absolutely keep going. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Like, you can absolutely tell that, right? Like, yeah. this is not, like, it almost feels like part of the achievement of this film it is, it, it, it feels like when a dancer is bowing at the end of a show and you see how sweaty they are. Mm-hmm. And how hard they've worked. That's part of the magic. Like the sheer levels of like energy output, you know, measure it in calories. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, and this film feels the same just watching these extended takes of what must be someone using, just burning themselves out, just flipping mm. out is, oh God, it's. Yeah, it, so it is. From, it's, from, it's impressive as like someone doing weightlifting. That's what mm. it feels. It feels like the acting equivalent of that. 
But yeah. Sorry, yeah, you keep going. Yeah. So I mean, probably the, the most like iconic scene of this film is, is the miscarriage in, in, in the subway. Oh, where, where yeah. The scene is done in three uh, long extended oneers. And yeah. it's a flashback. Start, well, starts okay, with... to, to stop on that, because like this film keeps jumping around so much yeah. that I think you just say like the whole thing is in an anachronic order. Anachronic yeah. order. Anyway, but anyway, that, yeah. that's me specifically quibbling with the term flashback. Sorry, keep going. The starts of this village, honey, uh, she's getting out of a subway train. She, uh, she, she's carrying a bag of groceries with her. Yeah. She's walking through the tunnels and she, she, she begins to feel a pain. She, she begins like hunch over and like lurch rather than step, and she yeah. starts moaning and it gets louder. And she's she starts screaming and she's she's throwing her body around. She slams the shopping bag into the wall, smashed egg and milk fly all over her, and and then there is about five minutes of her just screaming and throwing herself on the ground, and yes. and and nobody like, cares. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, so there are these like first two shots which which are that, and then there is a third shot which is she uh, like while still screaming, she like lowers herself onto her knees and like yeah, still like screaming and shaking, and then like white goo starts seeping through her mouth and blood and and like. Uh, like blood and like other fluids start like seeping out from under her dress and like blood seems to be like pouring out of her shoulders and yeah. she, she and she's just she's just covered in in all of the uh, uh, least uh, enjoyable bodily fluids and still just screaming and screaming and screaming and there is no one there to help her and so they they, they did uh, one t- they did two takes of that scene they would have just done one, but that's the centerpiece of the film. And so you, you, you have to have a safety in case the laboratory fucks it up. So they, they did that scene twice. And after shooting on the film wrapped, Isabella Johnny uh, reportedly attempted suicide. This is being confirmed by Julowski. Uh, yeah, several several times confirmed by her. Uh, I don't know, and I would. Uh, yeah, no, guess I don't. That, I, yeah, I'd, I'd guess for like most journalists uh, wouldn't ask her about that. Oh yeah, and uh, if they did, she probably clear. probably wouldn't want to answer. Uh, in, in an interview with uh, Mark Hermode and Simon Mayo uh, at, oh, at, yeah. at the beginning of this year, yeah. uh, 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 another was, uh, another good film podcast. Yeah, yeah, was uh, because of being interviewed by Mark Kermode, uh, Mark Kermode asked him a question about possession, yeah. and, uh, and Sam Neill said, that was a very uh, difficult film to make. Andre asked things of me as an actor that I don't think I can give anymore, and I barely, I, I, I believe that I barely made it out of that film with my sanity intact. There's probably a certain amount of exaggeration to that, but like, it makes sense. It is, and of all the like, like fuck, like the comparison that comes to mind is fucking Jared Leto on the squad being like, I'm going to send you used condoms or a dead chicken. Ha ha ha. I've actually gone crazy. And yet you watch the film and you're like, no, you bizarre cult leader shit. Fuck. You're just posing. Yeah. Whereas in this, like these are all incredible all time acting performances, mm. but they are also so much of their power sits in the fact that they're clearly a little out of control. 
Yeah. Like that, that, that things that, the and, and it never does, it never actually feels unsafe. Like the, the thing that would, that would age this film like milk rather than wine or cheese as it has. Now you've switched to Ip Man. Yeah, yes. Yeah, um, Finn is now playing Ip Man f- for... For, yeah. Anyway. Um, it, it's, it's for one I haven't seen yet, so this is me watching it for the first time with the uh, <laughs> most of the now covered by uh, myself. I wish uh, I had the paid version of the app uh, um, I'm using to use my phone as a webcam. <laughs> Um, so that I could put it on as a background behind me, or I could put mm-hmm. it on, you know, like um, the last thing I was watching, which was uh, Logopolis, Tom Baker's final story with the new CGI. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, um, like, yeah, the way this film would age like milk is if if it had hurt people, and part of and like that is why I can't get into Cannibal Holocaust. Or <laughs> that's the only reason. No, no, it, but it's also like that <clears throat> sense of like the story about God fucking what's his name? The guy who gets it, <laughs> the Bavarian director who gets it, Michael Haneke. No, come on. Oh, you're right there, Herzog. Oh, it's like while they're making Fitzcarraldo going up to Kluskinski with a gun and saying there are two bullets in this, one is for you and one is for <laughs> me. That's a great story because it underlines how close they got to the edge without going over it. Mm. And now they are, um, and it is like that, and, and that film still feels safe, you know? Mm. It still feels like something, a real thing. And yeah, it's risky rather than sick. And that's what possession also is. And yeah, it's so, so strong. Let's talk about how this film is shot now. Because yeah. uh, there are two important people to talk about here. The credited cinematographer on this film is a French cinematographer called Bruno Knighton. And he, he yep. uh, started yeah. work in the late 60s. He, he shot a bunch of films for Marguerite Duras and, and André Tichin. He shot the Jean de Florette and Manon of the Spring. I have not seen any of these, but they are all like, I don't, I have not seen any of those films, but I know their look, like their look is iconic, you know? Yeah. So like this but, guy, even if he's not touched a lot of lives, has, infe- has like infected a lot of them. Yeah. But the person who I think is even more important when it comes to how this film looks is the Steadicam operator, Andrzej Jaroszewicz, I think. Something like that. He was the camera operator on the third part of The Night and The Devil, and later was the cinematographer on a bunch of Zulowski's later period works. Yeah. And, and so seeing this after watching uh, the, the, the third part of The Night and The Devil, where he was also the camera operator, he's like one of the stars of all of Zulowski's movies. One of those movies is like a 40-set uh, like psychological neo-noir, and one, one of them is an is a 1800s period piece that's like an adaptation of, of, of Faust. 
Yeah. And, 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 and he shoots both of those the same way that he shoots position. It's all of these like long, roving, elliptical steady cam shots where he's moving between like high angle and low angle. He's, he's getting super close on people's faces and pulling way out. And, and he, 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 is, he is never sitting still for a moment. It is all, it is all like jittery and nervy. And it, it is unlike any film you've ever seen until you watch the other films that this guy was the camera operator on. It, yeah, to be reductive, it is like um, if Terry Gilliam also like it. It's, these these ones are like Terry Gilliam meets Brian De Palma. Like, yeah, they <laughs> they are they are perverse. They they creep and they stare and like they they ooze their serpentine mm. and liquid and, and a thing that unites these two films apart from the fact that they are the same film <laughs> is that they are full of unremarked on but highly effective long takes yeah these are films that are so good at knowing how painful and useful it can be to deny a cut to an audience to mm. To, to admit that something is being done or interfered with mm. um, or, or changed. But no, you're perpetually, these are two films that stick you in moments. And I think in a way where you kind of never leave. The guy who, who I get thinking of while watching all of these Jolofsky films is Peter Deming, and particularly his work on Evil Dead 2 and Lost Highway. Oh yes, I like, absolutely like, that too. Yes, yeah, we're, we're, we're like he, he is Peter Deming and Andre Jovashevitz uh, the, the like two camera operators I can think of who make the camera itself feel like an active like force of evil, which like lots of films try to do, and I think lots of films get close. But like Evil Dead Two, Lost Highway, Possession, The Devil are like. The films where the camera feels actively evil more than any other films I can think of. I I would also put the rabbits bits, uh, rabbits the the Lynch mini series web series that's also a bit of Inland Empire, but, right? Yeah. Um, which I believe was just shot by Lynch. That's just one of those things where you just put up a light in his backyard with the hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, yeah, but it, I think but very I'll, I'll... much in this mode. But it, 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 there's, the, there's the same sense that you are looking, that the very device, like the thing you are looking through is part of the problem. Like that your presence is the issue. Uh, in, in the way that in Gertrude, they're so clearly telling you, without ever telling you that they're telling you, that you're kind of like, I would never hear this story if I wasn't here. Whereas an obsession, the feeling is all mm-hmm. like, they're kind oh. of doing this for me. It's, it's possession. You said it's obsession like, again. Sorry, I keep thinking about that <laughs> OK Go music video with all the printers. I can't, like, this is the best film that I can't tell nearly 99.9% of people that I know to see. Yeah. The final, the final, I know I said it was final before, but this is the one I was always building up to. The base, the base level that we have to accept, that we both agree on it, you just don't know that we agree on it yet, um, is that possession 
is clearly the most influential horror film of the second half of the 20th century. Uh, I, I think you can make a pretty good argument for that, yeah. Um, even if not deliberately, but everything that marks out elevated horror or just mm. good horror as it's called is in this film. It is yeah. at this crux moment where the wave has crashed, the 70s have shown that capitalism is going to kill everyone and can't be stopped, and then that is literalized with a kind of triple erection of apocalypse with the creation of Trump Tower, Margaret Thatcher, and Ronald Reagan, and that we then, in the world of horror, see, like, the, like, the folk uh, and, and, like, erratic mysticism elements of giallo and, and folk horror the wicker man go through like the pain uh of of brand guignol and nosferatu but things like don't look now through noir are all synthesized into this film which it nearly drives everyone insane like, this is the piece of media I have most felt brainwashed by, and I have been hypnotized. <laughs> and it, doing that, and doing that, and, and, and the way that David Frost, uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch, in writing an origin story for Twin Peaks, start with, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, and a nuclear bomb test. Um, and, and then tell the story of the make of the the background of Twin Peaks, which is the background of um the major issues facing our lives, which is the media and violence and the nuclear war and the radio. But anyway, is like obsession is the opposite of that. Instead of perfectly summing up the past, I did say yeah, obsession. Yeah. I know P- possession contains everything we will see that there are elements like this is a better found footage film than the Blair Witch Project. This is a better psychological thriller than The Silence of the Lambs. This is better torture porn than uh, any uh, of the Saw films. The, the sense of dis- dis-ease and disconnection and uncanny valley. There it feels like what J-horror harnessed yeah. with The Ring it's a bit of divorce movie, a marriage story. And it, but it's also like, it is, it is like, it is all the things that will be nostalgified and it follows or, or, or Midsummer, or the better Suspiria, the Suspiria, Suspiria. And so it does kind of feel like a major, this feels like, you know how the world went to shit because David Bowie died? Uh, you have mentioned this to me before, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't mean, I don't literally believe that Brexit and Trump and COVID and fucking Ceausescu and fucking everything that has bad, that's happened since 2016 is literally because David Bowie died. But David Bowie dying does kind of make sense in a way to cause all of those following things. And I kind of think that the 80s 
the the era that that set us that confirmed that the world was going to end. Uh, every reason we're not saving the world now can be chased back to the first event of the 80s, which is in the 70s when Gerald Ford did not press charges against Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. And that is all to me. It just feels like, so I guess what I'm saying is, is not only is possession obviously um, the most influential f- piece of horror on film for the second half of the 20th century it's also like a major psychic event it is like do you understand what i'm saying when i say Uh, that like yeah yeah it is it is it feels like bright brighter summer day seeing portrait of a lady on fire in parasite for the first time seeing l'enfant for the first time since 2001 for the first time um, uh, seeing an unearthly child for the first time are times when I've seen a piece of media and been like, I am forever changed. Mm. This is now a, uh, I, I was Agent Smith. I had just shot Neo and then I turn and Neo has risen up in the, fa- in the form of the film Possession and he's and just he's, screaming at you. He screams, but then he flies into my stomach and then my hands do that melty thing where I suddenly look like a PlayStation 2 character, mm. and I explode into light, and you think possession has killed me, but he has left some of the one's code on me, so now I can fly. Now I am connected to the source, so I can go there and learn that as much as now 2021 feels like it is the end of the world again and again and again, right? That's what it felt like in 1981. And I have to choose between saving Zion or Trinity. Well, which one are you going to choose? I mean, the problem, as the, the oracle says, you'll remember, uh, is not that I have to choose. It's that I have to understand why I choose to save Trinity. I got the Matrix confused with the, uh, with, with the old El Paso ads for a second. I thought the oracle <laughs> said, uh, why not both? No, it's before he fights all those Smiths and the bit that makes um, people with weak moral fiber not like Reloaded <laughs> uh, talking about his dreams of Trinity dying. Yeah. And she goes, you think you're here to ask me what to do, but you have already chosen what to do. And, and then the rest of that film is about showing him that it is love and that it is love that saves all of us. And obsession is... The code it has left on imprinted on me is that l- love does not mean hurting people. As much as we can feel in a silence, and then sometimes you just got to let them fuck the squid. So what I'm saying, the end of this metaphor <laughs> is that I'm not Neo. I am now Smith, unmoored, the headphones no longer in my ears. Remember, I watched, I watched Possession with headphones on. That's the poorest decision of my life and i once drank 18 cans of beer vomited then slipped in my own vomit and gave myself a concussion why would you do that because i was because uh, i was uh, not position because briar was also in in the room um was why i wore headphones but like <laughs> i i am smith in and now all i can do is go around and there's like this woman with bags of shopping and she goes 
oh no, it's a, a, she turns into an agent who turns and sees me and she goes, you, and I go, me, 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 me. And then I shove my inevitable Blu-ray 4K copy of Possession into yeah, their no, hand. There's, there's a 4K coming. It's, it's coming out in a few months. Oh, my. <laughs> cannot wait to see yeah. all four of these Ks. It's going to be so good. Um, uh, and and I've, I've been looking at cheap projectors. I can't, I can't be stuck. And that copy of Possession goes within them and transforms them into me. And it, like, I cannot express how good this film is. And I'm so... <laughs> I'm so grateful for you for choosing it. Like, you knew this was going to fuck me up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of thought you might, like, I, I, I thought you might potentially hate this. Just, just I could like, really understand. Like, if yeah. I had not, like, we got, it was my birthday yesterday. I got to smoke marijuana, watch some of Gertrude, then all of Speed Racer. <laughs> And then the story where Tom Baker regenerates uh, to hang out with Briar, who just got offered a fucking dope job. And, and then, so, like, if I was seeing this in, in, in a faintly bad way, mm. it, it would be like a <laughs> mind bomb. Yeah, yeah. It would be, like, uh, genuinely, um, uh, like, you know, the, the Monty Python thing about the most deadly joke in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, it does feel like there are, yeah, I, I had never thought, because, like, Irreversible in New Zealand uh, was originally rated in a way that it could only be shown if you were studying film or in a film festival. Right. And when you see Irreversible, which you shouldn't, it is just like, oh, it's just because it's needlessly horrible. Yeah, it's extreme, but it's, like, kind of boring. Whereas this, which has nothing, like, there is no, like, it is, it is, Re- like bathed in tension mm. but there's nothing partic- there's no like there are more horrific images in other films but I genuinely like I understand that rating because I don't like this film could really like like you should you should have to be over like kids under 18 seeing this film might end up like as I said like broken <laughs> Yeah, like we just got to chuck them, and it is so interesting seeing a film that's so obscene but so mature, so sacred, and so profane. And it is that the fucking horrific track that they call it possession, and not telling us that the person who gets possessed is you, <laughs> is the person watching it. What a fucking track! Holy <laughs> shit! What a good pick, Ben. So yeah. I guess what I'm saying is. Uh, is that out of shine and sound, I rate it. Sound, as I said, top, definitely top five we watched for this show. I, yeah, the only other feeling I had that I've not expressed is that I kept being like, yeah, I could do a PhD in this. <laughs> I could spend, I could understand spending like 20 years learning every nuance of that film, you know, like every single beat. Yeah. Is that... What was it like when you first saw it? I mean, it, it was... Uh, Did you know what to expect? What I knew about Possession was, like, basically what had been mentioned by Elliot Kalen on the Flophouse a couple of times. 
This villain Johnny gives this giant, crazy performance. She she leaves her husband Sam Neil for a tentacle monster, and like that, that's 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 kind of it. I saw this a couple of years ago when Academy Cinemas was doing uh, was doing a festival of identity horror. Yeah, this and, is definitely and, one of those. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Which is like, which is it like, was oh, this Orson Welles' <laughs> The Trial. <laughs> Basically, all of Jalowski's like early stuff is in some sense identity horror because he, 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 he's obsessed with the idea of doppelgangers and and yeah, and this like, film is one like, and Jill Twist totally is, 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 is a doppelganger reveal yeah there are two doppelgangers in the film oh yeah but one is yeah. a twist yeah, and yeah. one is kind of the premise yeah um, uh, I think it happens in this movie which is um, uh, is, uh, it, uh, is uh, it fucked up shit is that the <laughs> thing that happens in this film that you're about to talk about well it's uh, after his wife has left him uh Sam Neill is taking his son Bob to school one day, and as he's dropping him off, he sees the teacher, and the teacher is uh, is played by Isabel Johnny, but she has a brown wig and green contacts in. Yeah, and... it does, it, which are incredible choices because they are distinct enough for you to notice if you're looking for them, but uh, otherwise, you she kind of melts into being herself twice. It's yeah, uh, just an incredibly deft piece of craft. On every front, yeah, and, and, and that, that doubling, yeah, yeah, and and like he 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 sees her and he is like taken aback by 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 by, by this woman who's like very obviously his wife, but also very distinctly not his wife, yeah, and like and that 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 like that 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 is like a major plot point of 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 the third part of the night, and there is like stuff like it which which happens in the devil. And yeah, it's like one of Julowski's things is like men dealing with the loss of their wife, be it like divorce or death, by like hyperfixating on, on another woman. And like, I mean, it, it's the Virgo thing of like of, of yeah, like yeah. of like seeing her as this love that he has lost, trying to like force all of his ideals about about his previous wife on, on, onto the onto this new one. Yeah. And like, I love all of that stuff. And like, seeing his earlier films first, I, I just love seeing how he's playing with these themes over and over again and finding ways to like expand them and, 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 and enrich them every time. And like, it's like his, his films are like his films are difficult and his filmography is difficult. And well, from my experience of position, like position is obviously a very difficult film, mm-hmm. but it is also such a clearly dense and rich. Yeah. Film. Some of its fruit is like densely packed behind thorns, but there is enough uh, delicious idea fruit and plot fruit and, and, and cinema fruit on show that you know that engaging deeply with it will be rewarding yeah. as opposed to it just being people yelling at you to make a point you already got. You know? Yeah, and, and and like when you watch the rest of his films, they are like just as extreme, if not more so, and like just as rewarding. It, it, it I, is like I a, genuinely it, it, cannot wait. No, I like I can wait. I've got so many other Blu-rays to watch, but but like this, just watching this film was an incredible gift. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and like, uh, and I, I wish he's dead. Right. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, he yeah. he uh, he di- he died in 2016. It's very thoughtless. He should have waited. Wait, when in 2016? Uh, February. So Bowie died, and then this guy died. Yeah. <laughs> that. Do you see what I mean when I'm talking about a major psychic event? This is C.S. Lewis. Sure. Yeah. This is C.S. Lewis and Aldous Huxley and J. J.F.K. 
all die on the 22nd of November 1963. Then on the 23rd of November 1963, uh, Doctor Who starts, and those that's clearly a major psychic event. And I feel like 1981, the creation of Possession, through to its creator's death, because he could no longer stand with his guardian angel, Bowie. It's a major magical and psychic event, Finn. And it is insane that we, he managed to articulate it so clearly so far. And it, like, because it just feels, it is like we had talked several episodes about how, like, Drill gets it. Yeah. And, and, like, Drill is the person who is the best at explaining how things currently feel, but in a comic way. Whereas this film is like Drill, but for the not fun feelings. <laughs> Was that, has anything I said been coherent at all? Yeah, no, I think it was mostly pretty coherent. <laughs> it's because it's just what possession does to your, to your breath, like. Yeah. Like, it's the, just, the, the, I feel it clanging in my head. Oh, and like, I also want to say the music possession that was done by a man called Andre Korzynski, who also did the third part of the night and the devil and like worked with worked with Zulowski like right up until his last film Cosmos in 2015 and just like, incredible in, yeah an incredible score his, his score for the devil is like yeah as it's like it's set in the 1800s but it, but, it, but it is shot all like crazy jittery steady cam and then the score is there's like these like bizarre explosions of prog rock so, over this guy playing the devil trying to tempt a man as if he is like Charlie Day and always and it's always sunny in Philadelphia oh my it is, god it's it's incredible but, um, I, yeah I I'm very excited that I have such future trauma awaiting me yeah now it and is, then, uh, a few years after uh, 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 a few years after Zulowski made this film in, in 1985, he made another film called Mad Love, which starred Sophie Marceau. That was the first of the four films they'd made together. Uh, they, 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 they got married the same year and then uh, kept, kept making films together until uh, 2000 when, 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 uh, when they divorced. So, yeah, it's getting close to midnight. So, <laughs> yep. Finn, I, I have a question for you. Yes. Position is it shy or sound? It's it's so fucking sound. It's I so... I I I love this movie. I am uh, oh. very very happy that that you also uh, love it. Yeah, uh, it, it is it is one of like the most like overpowering works of cinema that I think has ever been created. And I th- I think if if. If from our description you feel like you can handle it and you feel like you'll get something out of it, you should absolutely do it because it is, it is it's again, good as hell. And it is not... There were bits of this film that I found unbearable. Mm. And I'm a weakling, but it is like... This film is designed to reject audiences. Yes. And me and Finn, as we've discussed many times, are, are nihilist film shits irony poison seeking the harder shit but this isn't i want to be clear this is not two junkies being like you've got to try fucking black tar heroin (laughs) just do it between your toes this is two junkies being like 
we found out that putting just a tiny bit of cocaine on a filet mignon really makes it great. <laughs> and if yeah, you think no, just it's a like, little it's like bit a Jack of Nicholson coke does cocaine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels like an interview of Jack Nicholson like five or ten years ago where, where someone asked him if he still did cocaine. And he was like, yeah, but like the secret to doing cocaine at my age is that you don't, you don't need that much. Just do like a little bit of cocaine and you're fine. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, but we both agree that this is, uh, it's, it, I think the key thing that we both agree is this film is easy to love, <laughs> low bar to entry. I could barely think of a human who uh, uh, were, would give this anything but the worst review. I don't think, I think it panders is what I'm saying. The real <laughs> issue is that it really talks down to an audience. So I think if you looked for reviews, you would find mainly, you know, meddling ones or negative ones. We're the first people to really like it, right? Uh, 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 no, uh, incorrect. Uh, lo- 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 lots of lots of other people are uh, lo- lots of other people are just as broken as us. I don't know, but Finn, I don't. Okay, mm-hmm. start. We'll pause. Like very funny bit. I said we were going to be serious for the whole, <laughs> and I just need to really stress the fact that if there are other people who are broken in the way I am not only am I broken I'm not even unique and that is a kind of information that could be more damaging to me than watching Gertrude and then driving through level 3 level Auckland and then watching Possession the day after my 34th birthday when I realized that I've just really, I have chucked a lot of my life away (laughs) and the only thing more dangerous, like you warned me, would be finding out that I am not alone. I hate communities. Yeah. So... So here is a five-star review of Possession. Oh, man, I can't wait to hear it. So, is um, it also by Mum Mumster? Uh, no, this is by a Leadbox user called Silent Dawn, who is, I think, the, the like, uh, best of the like, uh, really uh, like, uh, prominent Leadbox accounts. Now, this is from uh, 2016, and he's become a better and a less like, flowery writer since then. But uh, I think that this gets like, most of the ideas right. 100 out of 100. Possession prances through a prism of explicit insanity, morphing into its true form while screams and orgasmic whimpers echo across infinite spaces of desolation, going up, up, and away into spiritual voids, clamoring against love and all that it stands for, but not what it instills in us. Andrzej Zulowski rips cinema in half, slices its innards, and puts it all on a scale to measure. This tale of a husband and wife lost in their own thoughts and desires isn't initially horror, but the trauma is indeed possessive, a relationship wounded because of covetous pauses and toxic surfaces. Aesthetically vacant and perpetual, the stark skies of Berlin paint a grey mirage of chaos derived from intimate struggles and intentions. Courtyards and apartment complexes are the new legion, towering over slight glimpses of prosperity, while most humans cower near their lovers while most humans cower near their lovers in hollow stupors. Angels appear right in the daylight, but those lucky enough to have an encounter see them as a joke, a cruel prank de- a cruel prank devised by the sinister roots of modern paranoia and alienation. 
Julovsky sees relationships as delusions and fantasies. Compromises with unexpected rewards, and as a jar of memories for an announcement visit with an elongated shadow and disquieting intentions. Isabella Jani and Sam Neill drift through their captured existence like risen demons, apparitions not even possessed because there isn't a trace of a partner who used to love you. All that breeds is hatred and unwanted seduction, narrowed into oppressive scenes where the pain of an electric knife is a feeling deliberately sought after through the mystery of curiosity. Both performers are raving forces of nature, flailing and yelling and moaning within a marital reverie that Vezulovsky conjures up for the living, breathing canvas, otherwise known as cinema. Oh, and also it has the scariest ending I've ever seen. Like two things. One, Mm. yeah, 100% that's it. Two, calm down a bit. Yeah, Uh, I mean, in in the past five years, he's he's calmed down a bit, yeah. But also, like, that is what it feels like. That is, and, like, in the way that that review, like, tumbles and explodes is because after seeing Possession, you can't feel any other way. So, you, well, let's guess this person's top four. Yeah. Uh... I say let, I want to, because you know. Uh, let's see. Okay, so I've got to tell uh, you because Donnie Yen is on the bus chatting to a mate behind you. There were several shots where he was looking over and smiling, <laughs> and while you were lo- reading from your phone, and it looked like Donnie Yen was checking in on the review with you and approving of it. So <laughs> I, I want to say we're we're really not alone. We've got a fourth member of the possession posse. The first film on Silent Dawn's top four is a film that you texted me about a few uh, few months ago saying, is blank the best film ever made? The Battle of Algiers. Uh, no. Um, uh, you, you texted Miami me. Miami Vice? Uh, yeah, yeah. Miami Vice. Yeah, I texted you that almost exact same twice, except, <laughs> and then the, the text, it was like how earlier today I texted you, uh, possession, holy shit. <laughs> that was about 15 minutes in. <laughs> uh, the, the second film on the list is a director returning to the genre they're most familiar with after, uh, after a uh, long break. Drag Me to Hell. Yes. Oh, God, Youth of Dean. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, the third film on the list. It's a, what a good... Two goodies yeah. so far. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the third film on the list uh, has an ending that almost everyone hates. Return of the King? Not the ending necessarily, but like a final shot that almost everyone hates, but I think is good. Rogue One? Uh, no, although it's a good final shot. Um, uh, is it a franchise? Uh, no, but, but it's uh, an adaptation of a film that is part of a franchise. Dawn of the Dead? No. An adaptation of a film that's part mm. of a franchise. But it's it's a it's a remake of a film that's part of a, that's part of a franchise. But it's a standalone remake. Yeah. And it's not Dawn of the Dead. It's not. Were the originals in it not in the English language? Uh, correct. What genre would you call this? Crime thriller. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, this is often referred to as a cops and robbers film. Heat. Uh, no, but it, it, no. it is sort of this director's heat. Not in the sense that it's like uh, the uh, masterpiece to end all masterpieces like Heat is, but like it is, um, like it, it, it is, it is Heat-esque. 
is it a Tarantino? No. Uh, no. Oh, do, uh, okay. Is what year is it? Uh, two thousand six. Is Linda Cardellini in? Uh, she is not. Oh, is it um LA Confidential? No, nope, uh, that's uh, ninety seven. Oh, I knew that. And that's um, that's within a decade. It's very obvious, right? Uh, I I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So yeah, it. it uh, uh, right. So, yeah. it, 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 it won best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, best film editing. Uh, it, it's an edit, uh, It's a remake of a Hong Kong film. Oh right, Departed. Yes, The Departed. Right, yeah. Well, it, and it, it kind of adapted bits of all three films. Uh, yeah, no, oh, okay. it, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, yeah. yeah, I was an idiot on that one. The fourth film, I, do, I don't know if you'll get. Um, it's a, uh, it's a uh, like late sixties. Uh, is it a Corm- I, I, I think I think it's a Corman produced. Uh, no, okay, it just feels like a Corman produced film. It's a film by a guy called Jack Hill, who is most famous for uh, for making the films uh, Coffee and Foxy Brown with uh, starring Pam Grier, and also directed uh, Switchblade Sisters. Nah, I don't know it. It's like uh, the been- one. Is the ones I can think of from that era are films that I know are not by him, like Sweet Sweet Bat, you know? This is a film called Spider Baby. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, is it the sequel or prequel to Possession? Uh, it's, no, it's like a low-budget horror-type movie starring Lon Chaney Jr. And he plays the caretaker to a, uh, to a, like, a rich family. There are like three siblings... The members of this family are like afflicted with a disease, which uh, when they reach a certain age, they, they start to they start to, like mentally regress, and and and, oh. uh, and, and so he he he, uh, he lives in the house and looks after them, and uh, then it becomes a, uh, a weird horror movie. It's supposed to be uh, pretty good. Hey Finn. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Uh, who gives a shit? Uh, but you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Or you could check out our website. It's at ShiteAndSound.com. That's and the word, not and the ampersand. Uh, and if you like what I do, which uh, I hope that you do, and if you don't, don't tell me. I'm in quite a bad place right now. I just watched Gertrude and Possession. <laughs> um... Uh, check out my other stuff. I have a newsletter which you can sign up for at bit.ly slash youthalives. Youthalives is my social media handle where I, if I want you to find me. Uh, I have two other podcasts. Uh, one is called The Witching Hours. Creepy, kooky and silly audio drama anthology and the other is called The Slow Path where me and my partner Briar watch Doctor Who until we die. Our theme song, it's called The Nux. Like Kazam Blam. You can check him out on Bandcamp. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch them. Especially Possession. Unless you can't. Unless you can't handle it, which is fair enough. Holy shit, Finn. What a film. I'm... If you broke me, (laughs) I should have insured my mind. And now I can sue you for, like, destroying the one thing I have. <laughs> yeah, your, um, your feeble mind. Fuck, yeah. I'd have to go sleep, mate. But, <laughs> man, I had a real good time with that, did you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and also, oh, we're so lucky.
Like the whole point of this fucking podcast is to do combos like that. Yeah. Uh, that's why I got kicked off Hinge. Because <laughs> you just kept. <laughs> and then I got off the bus. Um, <laughs> but but we're, we're about to talk about... And then I said, Dad! <laughs> yeah, other hack punchlines. <laughs> but, so, uh, this uh, is a Wendy's. Um, I'm in... You're in his DMs. I'm uh, doing a second thing. Did you see my well, good uh, one of those? Uh, I I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's ever done a good one of those. Uh, <clears throat> uh, tip of the tongue, the teeth, and the lips. Really a proper cup of leather. coffee from a proper, proper mm. coffee pot. You're in her DMs. I'm in the corner watching you kiss her. Oh, I'm right over here. Why can't you see me? Oh, I'm getting in my own, but you're not the guy I'm taking home. Oh, I'm just dancing on my own. We are not the same. 